Hi, my name is Marcia Chatlin. I'm a professor of history at Georgetown University, but more importantly, I'm the host of Office Hours, a podcast. This is an opportunity to get a window into my world where I talk to students about the things that are most important to them. So please join us for Office Hours for the things we don't talk about in class. So today on the podcast, I'm talking to Calvin Millian, a senior here at Georgetown University. I have t- had the pleasure of teaching Calvin since sophomore year, I think. And I think that Calvin really epitomizes what it means to go away to college and to really grow as a person. So Calvin, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Anything for my my main one, <laughs> Professor Talbot. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your winter break. How was it? It was good. I spent it with some family. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time at home So because I was going to come back to school and I knew things were going to be crazy for the last run. I really just wanted to like kick back, spend it with the people who got me here, and just uh, spend it with my friends and stuff, but mainly with family. So pretty so lucky. this is your last coming home from winter break experience. So tell me what it's like to go back home these days for you. <laughs> You want me to shed a tear? <laughs> no, it's been good. It's been good. I think the nice thing about being back home is that it always reminds me of why I do what I do, which is weird because people say that in a more professional setting, but in an academic setting, I'm here every day seeing people who are very, very different from me, and that's become my norm, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so it's, it's very easy to get blinded by that reality. Um, so when I go back home, I remember what drives me. I remember uh, who has gotten me here and why I want to go so much further. So So tell me about what motivates you to come to Georgetown, come back every year, every semester, and do your best. Yeah. So my family is uh, Haitian immigrants. So my parents came from Haiti. They migrated in uh, the 1980s, and they've really, really stressed the importance of education. They didn't have access to it. So growing up, they were like, well, you have a very— unique opportunity here to sort of uh, pursue a path that's a lot more successful than ours. Um, And when I look back on it, they always said that we can't let you go to public schools because all the public schools around us were just terrible. Um, And so they always put us in private school. And so this this narrative or this reiteration about the importance of education continued to spiral, and it got me into uh, private school. Um, Luckily, I got into an academic program that propelled me into a good high school that's allowed me to be at Georgetown. So it's a combination of different things, but um, that's definitely what drives me, and and that's the reason why I'm here today. So It's a familiar story for a lot of immigrant kids. I can totally relate to everything you said, including having uh, parents from Haiti. Uh, how do you deal with the pressure of that sometimes? <laughs> uh, it's funny you ask that because now that I'm a senior, uh, or throughout this whole process, I used to always feel like I'm the only one who really gets where I'm coming from. Because like I said before earlier, this reality is a false reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do I deal with it? I try to pursue opportunities that I know are going to make my parents proud, in a sense. It may be the littlest thing, but any—I'm repeating thing— but anything is something that they've never seen or never had access to. So to them, everything I do is sort of um, a moment to, to, to take pride in. What has given you the most pride in sharing with your parents? 
Oh, that's this is for the record. I never really talk about this, but my parents worked so hard that I could get access to a great education. So fortunately, in high school, I went to Seen Hall Prep in, in uh, West Orange, New Jersey. I was a member of a program called the Griffin Bridges Program. Um, as part of that program, we had great mentors. So uh, my mom lost her job my freshman year of high school, and I had a great mentor by the name of James Orsini who uh, went out of his way to see what he could do for my mom. And so he coordinated the opportunity uh, for her to sort of get back into the workforce. And for me, it was just nice to see that um, I was given so much to have access to this network, um, but I was also able to utilize that network to give back to the people who have worked so hard for me to even see this day-to-day life. So, How do you explain what you do in college to your parents. I remember this being like such a, even now, explaining my life to my family. They're like, you do what? You only have to do it how many days a week? It must be nice. How how do you describe what's happening at Georgetown to your family? Uh, I would say that it's fairly simple, primarily because they've always had a focus on education. And my dad um, has always emphasized reading. He loves reading. He loves politics. I'm a government major, so it makes it so easy to get uh, to get into the things that I'm learning about. And he, uh, my parents are very, very open about learning from their kids, and, and they also emphasize that we can also learn from them. So it's a very, very two-way street. Um, so it's not too hard to sort of communicate that, but in terms of Georgetown life is so unique. What makes it so unique? The caliber of the students and also the culture. And I wouldn't know necessarily, I think you just have to be here to understand, but the students are extremely driven. Everybody sort of inspires everyone else because everyone's moving, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I just bumped into uh, a woman or a young lady. I don't know what I call her. A young lady who was going to have a— um, Feel free to call her a woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a woman who's uh, got an internship at the White House. And so for me, it's always—and that's part of the culture is that people are always bettering themselves. People are always taking a step forward. And it's very cultivating for me. And trying to relay that to my parents, I think, is— something that makes them appreciate the opportunities that I'm seeing. And it's all the hype that they they wanted me to see. So so the other part of that culture, though, is uh, people who come from a lot of financial security, a lot of means. And in your experiences, you know, going to prep school in New Jersey and coming here, how has that class divide, you think, impacted the way you look at your experience? Oh, that's a great question. I would say uh, I'm very fortunate compared to other students who – just sort of uh, got here from a different sort of high school. But I got the warm-up in high school having familiarized myself with this sort of different socioeconomic playing field. Um, And I think your question, sorry again? It was about class. Like, how do you adjust to the class differences sometimes between where you're coming from and your classmates? Hmm. Yes. So I did get the warm up in high school, but that doesn't change the fact that (laughs) because now I'm living independently amongst individuals who – have the means to sort of eat out whenever they want to eat out, have the means to it's, – it's difficult. It's difficult. How do I adjust that? I think I have an opportunity um, within every interaction I have to sort of highlight that my peers' reality isn't my reality, and I think it's a two-way street and that they appreciate that. And I've found that to be certainly the case um, interacting with people who do come from more – wealthy uh, or wealthier rather backgrounds than I. It's definitely definitely difficult because when they do things, I want to do it, you know. Yeah. But the reality is I can't. And my mom always says, 
uh, she's experienced this even within her own life. The reality is you will, won't be able to do what other people do, but let that continue to drive you. And one day you'll see the, the you'll bear the fruit of your labor. So, so I'm waiting on that day. <laughs> so, so speaking of your, your labors, where are we going to see you after graduation? Or where do you want to see yourself? Where do I want to see myself? This is a question I thought about a lot because it's coming to an end. It's going to an end. Uh, I think or I'm pretty fairly confident that I want to be a successful one of the you think of successful startups, you think of the CEO of Twitter or you think of the the two uh, chairman of Google and you think of different individuals. But um, I really want to be a minority, successful minority in the tech industry, which is very, very, very rare. And I admire um, the founder of Bevel for all his success. You know, my husband just showed me Bevel. It's, it's incredible. Really cool. It's incredible. Bevel it's, is a um, products company for men's grooming. It's like a shave club subscription service. It's really well designed. Very cool. Mm-hmm, I can totally mm-hmm. see you there. Um, employees of Bevel, we have a great new employee for you. So if you're listening from Bevel, we'll contact the podcast on the top and we'll get you in contact with Kelvin. So what is it about that company that you think that's the kind of space you want to be in? Well, I think it's very, very interesting. So like I said, my background, uh, my parents are Haitian immigrants. And so a lot of the, the nature of the talk that comes from those communities uh, is – there's you either pursue a career in law or you pursue a career in the medical field. And so those are maybe engineering. Too. Maybe <laughs> we might even throw engineering in there. But those are all highly regarded mm-hmm. professions. I came to Georgetown and I some of my peers were working on like startup ideas and things of that nature. I was just fascinated. First it takes a lot of courage, but also there's a lot of risk involved. Same times, the individuals who are pursuing these things have more means than I do. Um, and so to get into a space where I could have an idea and bring it to fruition and also understand the needs of the people that are around me is something that is fascinating. It's a different way of contributing to society, and that's what we see with Bevel. And my roommate, who is, is not African-American but loves the Bevel product. It's, it's really and, touching a nerve with a lot of non-black men, I think. Right, right. And so for me— that that's something that's inspirational. Something that you do it for your community, but the the ripples affect those outside of your community as well. And I think that's a uh, a very uh, enticing opportunity. So when you are out there, I know that you went to South by Southwest. I know mm-hmm. you've had experience with startups. What is it like being a person of color, just interested in this world? Yeah, it seems like there is such a bizarre kind of feel from my vantage point of tech someone who's outside of it, where it's this place with all of this energy. Mm -hmm. And when I look around, I see students of all color have that energy and Mm -hmm. can fit in that world. But the barriers, the Mm -hmm. access to that world are so um, kind of traditional. Mm -hmm. You have to have the connections. You have to have the cash flow. You have to be able to take risks. And so what is it like, you know, trying to circle your wagons around that world? (sighs) My first reaction is that's how the game goes. That was my understanding of it. It's just a weird it's a weird space to enter because it's there's so many prerequisites before you can even qualify to take a step in that arena. So even being in South by Southwest, you know that people have networked, people have had uh their connections to even start their funding. You networking even determines how much funding you get. And I think that coming from the community that I'm from, that support system to be able to 
take a risk or to to brew up new ideas. I mean, that just it doesn't allow for for that sort of uh, mental uh, me- those kind of mental exercises, to be honest. And so it is it is certainly difficult, and you can feel it. You can feel. It. I was in South by, and I was like, ah, I know <laughs> that all these people they got it, you know. And I'm and the reality is, I was like, okay, I'm putting time into this startup, but. If it fails, like I have no support system, and um, you know, unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't roll out. But now, now I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna have to figure it out. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get my support system, uh, or be my own support system now that I'm about to graduate. So, and so, when you think about what you've learned over these, you know, three and a half years about yourself, what would you tell Calvin the freshman about this experience? Oh. There are a lot of things I would tell Calvin. One of them is remember your story and don't forget where you came from. I think that stepping into Georgetown was wonderful for me. It was like a new exposure to a world that I had never been exposed to in terms of people from different countries and things of that nature. But I think by, I came in with a drive to leave an impact on this community, and oftentimes uh, I was blinded by the sort of the day-to-day life here. And even going back home, it was nice for me to be able to see this is where I come from and these needs still exist. And these are the same needs that drove me here and that will further inspire me to do great things. But I think when you get into a college campus, there's so many distractions, so many opportunities to do different things. Um, I would tell Calvin to remember, try to stay involved even uh, with communities that that uh, remind me from where I'm from in a D.C. community. And Have you ever had someone tell you from back home, whether your parents or your siblings or your friends, you've changed? How does that feel? Uh, I've heard it. I, I think I've heard it less than than most. Um, and I'm very, very for- fortunate to have a, a great support system. But I know enough to know that change isn't a bad thing. I know, I know enough to know that change is a bad thing. I know that... Uh, change while some may see it see it as a bad thing that ultimately my heart and my desires remain the same i still love the people i love i still want to give back to the community that i'm from so although i've changed i've changed for the better and i and hopefully you'll see that or the people who have like criticized me for that will see that in the years to come but i appreciate the criticism because it keeps me it keeps me uh keeps me sharp and it keeps me uh remembering where i came from so so the last question I have asked everyone on the podcast, and I'd be really curious to hear what you have to say. If there was one thing you could tell all your professors, what mm-hmm. they should just like know about you or your experience that you don't get an opportunity to really express, what would it be? I would say this is something I realized from taking your class is that showing your students that you, you care about them is extremely important and has a very, very valuable lesson in terms of what will stand out to them in terms of um, their takeaways in the course. So, for example, I've walked into courses where it doesn't seem like professors care. And so it's hard to be invested in the material, but it's also hard to give the course your all because it doesn't seem like it's a two-way street. Some professors seem like they have all the knowledge and all they care about is spewing it onto you. You do a very good job of getting to know your students and get, asking questions that uh, encourage them to tap into their background so that they also uh, can contribute to the course the same way that you contribute to it. So I think that would be the key. I remember you said something way back when where you said 
the one of the great things about studying history is that it's applicable to any subject area. And no matter where you go in life, history is still going to drive the sort of decisions you make. And I was talking to someone yesterday who was also a history major, and I was like, you know what? I've heard that before. I heard it from Professor Chatlin, and, I, and I, it's encouraged me to always look into the history of different um, things, whether that be in tech, whether that be on the social sphere. Um, but that was sort of one of my biggest takeaways from your class. So I really appreciate you know, taking your class. I wish I could have taken it this semester, but uh, you've got bigger things, bigger things. Oh, I have sabbatical. No bigger things than teaching. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. A real pleasure. Bye-bye. And now it's time for our Ask the Doctor segment, where students from all over the country ask me questions about surviving college. Simone D.B., originally from Paris, writes, Dear Dr. C., In high school, I was something of a nuisance. I did all right academically, but not, well, stellar. So as a result, I went to a public university not too far from my hometown. I've been doing great there. I have a ton of friends. I'm in leadership positions on campus, and I'm killing it academically. But I gotta be honest with you. Prestige is calling. I'm wondering, do I leave behind this oasis, such a strict difference from my high school days, to go to a school that's more prestigious? Will that help me in the longer term? I don't even know what to do. Thanks. Oh, this is a good one. Okay, so... This idea of what school is most prestigious is really an interesting one because although I'd love to live in a world where everything is equal, we understand, especially in the college and university world, these ideas of ranking, what's a top school, what's a middle-range school, what's a non-competitive school. So I can't lie to you, Simone, and say that there isn't a system out there that is a hierarchy. With that being said, as a proud graduate of a public university, it seems like your strategy is paying off. You're capitalizing on the opportunities that your campus has. So when students come to me about transferring schools, I often ask them to consider a few things. The first one is financial. Going to a public university to perhaps a private university may create a serious financial strain on your family or your own resources. Some schools do not offer generous financial aid packages to transfers. So the first question is, financially, what are the risks involved? The second is, I don't want us to ever underestimate the value of community. You said in your letter that you have tons of friends. That is worth a lot when you're surviving college. And if you feel like you're immersed in a community of people who get you, that's worth a lot. The one thing I will say about transferring schools is that if you have a specific academic interest that you don't think can be met on your campus, then that might be a reason to transfer. If you're interested in engineering and you know that you can get into a top engineering school, if there is an area in biomedical research that's calling you and you don't feel like your campus can fill the need, then I think transferring sounds like a very very reasonable option for your academic future. Now, if your motivation for transferring is that you want to go to a fancier school, I would really want you to take a step back and think about what schools can provide you and what they can't. 
I think that there's a misunderstanding that just going to a prestigious school opens all the doors. It can open some doors, but what kicks the door wide open is your ability to relate and connect to people, your ability to be generous, and your ability to figure out problems. So I can't tell you what to do, Simone, but I do want you to consider all of the factors that have made you successful at your school and all of the things that you're going to need to do to transfer. We can continue this conversation with some transfers on this campus at Georgetown. Thank you for visiting Office Hours. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marcia Chatlin and Alex Tyson. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Join us on social media, on Twitter at Office Hours Pod, and on Instagram on Office Hours Podcast.